Welcome to this edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, along with Chris Dorch of Blue Ribbon. I'm Kevin Ingram. It is great to have you with us. We talk some hoops. We get into some uh, fun stuff, even other than basketball. We always have great guests. This week's show is going to feature Chris Holtman. He's the uh, head basketball coach at Ohio State. Hard to believe he's entering his fifth season. We had a great conversation with Chris, and he will be coming up here in just a moment or two. Chris Dorch, uh, give us the update, first of all, on the uh, process of putting together the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, which I know is always a lengthy one. It takes you pretty much all summer and into the fall, but you get it done, you get it out, and everybody's uh, always thrilled when that uh, book either arrives on their doorstep or arrives where they can download it, uh, like I've done the last few years, and you you get all that great information in writing. I'll tell you, and now uh, is the time that tries men's souls – we're uh, we're so close we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it seems still pretty far away. <laughs> I, I look and I, I count and I said, man, I've, I've got 200 of these stories edited and done and back to the designer. And then I think, wait a second, there's still 152 more to go. <laughs> and I did those 200 in about two months, and now I've got three weeks to get you know, rid of the uh, the last 153, but that's always part of it. You know, things are constantly changing, which I think uh, you wanted to talk about. Uh, another big uh, bit of recruiting news. Yeah, no question, Chris. And this just came down uh, right before we went to uh, record our podcast here. Uh, the Memphis Tigers and Penny Hardaway have landed Imani Bates. Uh, they got the commitment from him on Wednesday a 6'6 wing, top five prospect in this year's class. He reclassified earlier this month. He's friends with a guy they'd already landed in Jalen during the big man. So Memphis uh, getting it done with Penny Hardaway in recruiting. Can he win big with them once they arrive? Of course, that's the next question. But Imani Bates uh, committing to Memphis. That's really big news out of college basketball. And Chris, as you mentioned, uh, could change some things in terms of uh, your rankings when you go to put the book together. No question. We've been, I've been talking back and forth with a couple of writers that were involved in the process. One who was getting ready to write about another team that was ranked in our top 25. And one who had sort of saved Memphis uh, also because it was, he, could, he couldn't track down Penny until a couple of days ago. But he, he finally got that done. And he said, man, they've got a chance to get him on Bates. What should I do? And I said, well, We've got no choice but to wait. Uh, and, and wow, Penny got it done. It's crazy. You know, I guess the big rumor was for a while there that he was – Penny was looking toward the NBA and everything, and and he, he wound up staying put. Now he's got this unbelievable uh, roster of young kids. And, you know, they had a bunch of kids – they had a bunch of kids transfer. Good players transfer, but they uh, they come out they come out really looking good at, at this point, and I think they have to, by virtue of of this latest uh, talent acquisition, that you almost have to put them in our. I mean, some people are already saying they could be a top ten team. I always consult you and you know other editors and and writers before we do rankings. And that's why, you know, it was a no-brainer. My, my writer uh, brought it to my attention. Hey, what happens if, if Memphis gets Imani Bates? And, and I said, well, then we've got to really – I mean, we, we've got to 
we've got to redo everything that we thought we were almost done with. And uh, one team is going to have to get booted because we only have 25. I don't believe in that top 25 plus one. Our boy Gary Parrish does. <laughs> uh, come on, man. Just 25. Yeah, just pick 25. Uh, yeah, yeah. But so we, we had to boot one in favor of Memphis. But, you know, it. it I, I think our readers have come to appreciate the fact that uh, we are up to the minute as we can be. You can never get everybody. It's just unbelievable. Uh, I, I look at this site, verbalcommits.com. If you're not familiar with it, I'm shamelessly plugging it. They don't pay me. Uh, I use it. It's free, but I would pay for it. The other day, I I was just looking at it for the heck of it, and I saw where where Texas A and M had had signed two kids in August, two transfers, and our writer had already written the piece, and I'd go back in there and you know add those kids. So we do the best we can, but and there's hundreds of kids you know, flitting about, uh, you're not going to get them all. And I just, I've come to accept it. It doesn't make it any hard, any easier, but I, yeah. I've come to accept it. More big conference news in recent days too. the uh, announcement of an alliance between the big 10, the ACC and the PAC 12, uh, in their words, it was try to stabilize a volatile environment. This of course follows the sec's edition of taxes in Oklahoma recently. And also the, uh, talk, of an expanded college football playoff. But I guess, you know, one of my questions is, and we asked this of Chris Holtman, we'll hear his answer coming up shortly. What does it mean for college basketball? They're talking about more in-season matchups between those conferences, cross-conference matchups, which I'm all for. I, I, I That sounds great to me. But it'll be interesting to see in the coming years, like once this thing settles in and you see what it's really about, what it means in terms of matchups for college basketball and some ones that could be uh, pretty juicy when you talk about the you, you cross those three conferences with some of the uh, the basketball powers in those leagues. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess they felt like that they they had to make a move. And the, the first thing you notice that the – the poor Big 12 is on the outside uh, looking in on that. Yeah. And it's a shame because obviously that's a great league. But I don't know. It, it's it's funny. And, and when we talk to Chris Holman, I know he's he's still trying to figure it all out. And I think we all are. And, and I just don't know whether it becomes a super conference like football and, and NCAA kind of loses control of handling the championship and and what I hope doesn't happen I mean you and I both went to mid-major schools I went to two of them uh and I think and and you called Belmont games for years and, and part of the appeal you saw it firsthand many times is that you know uh the NCAA tournament equips all these little Davids with a giant slingshot and invites them to take aim at the Goliaths of the game. And those are games, and you know this, nobody would come to Belmont to play in the regular season. Those are games that these mid-majors would never get. And they prove time after time that they can stand tall with the big boys. And to me, that's the universal appeal of the NCAA tournament. And I just don't know what road we're going down, Kevin. I really don't. It's kind of scary a little bit. I I just – I don't know. I – I hate to see the status quo messed up. I mean, part of this alliance thing, 
it's like, well, you know, you already got a Big Ten ACC deal yeah. every year, and I mean, what makes it so different? And I, I think, like you said, it, it just uh, here's the SEC uh, sitting to uh, you know just waiting to absorb Texas and Oklahoma, sixteen really strong teams, and wow, I mean, they could rule the roost. I, I, again, this is something that you've seen a lot more up close and personal than me covering uh, Olympic sports, non-revenue sports. Yeah. Uh, and, and the College World Series, SEC is strong in everything. In, in everything it does. No matter what the sport is, it's it's got some sort of uh, power in that sport for the most part. But you're exactly it's right. right. Yep. Absolutely. And this is the reaction to that. Yep. They don't want the SEC to run off and hide. So this is what we're seeing. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I think when, when we spoke with Chris, he – he kind of said it pretty well. Uh, he's not the first guy they're going to come to to ask, right. you know, for, for the opinion yeah, and, at his school. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and so I guess we just sit and wait and see what happens. And before we hear from Chris Holtman, uh, to that end, we were talking about the NCAA tournament a moment ago. Interesting story in the sporting news by friend of the show, Mike DeCourcy, quoting Notre Dame coach Mike Bray saying that when the NCAA holds what's called its constitutional convention or however you want to term it coming up in november bray says when they meet to rewrite the ncaa rule book and everything okay let's start with this don't fool around with the tournament we can't fool with that but everything else is open that pays all the bills that's the one saving grace i don't see anyone messing with that format i don't see anybody messing with that format bray says and he and he went on to talk about you know just some of the things that you just discussed as far as Everybody having that one shot to, to knock somebody off or to make that deep run in the tournament. And I'm hoping, and I know you are too, that, that Coach Bray is correct in what he uh, told Mike DeCourcy there. What's that old expression from, from Coach Bray's lips to God's ears? <laughs> exactly. I, I, I really hope he's right. And, you know, uh, Jay Billis, is, 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 uh, he's forgotten more hoops than I'll ever know. And... and He's a good friend of, of Blue Ribbon, the show, uh, and, and I've known him for a long time. And every now and again, we'll get into this conversation, and I'll say, yeah, but Jay, you know, mid-majors, uh, upsets. And he says, Chris, get real. Are you telling me you wouldn't watch a power conference NCAA? And I said, I always have to say, you got me. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Uh, but, but Coach Bray makes a good point. Uh, CBS and Turner cough up a billion, that's with a B, uh, dollars for the rights to this thing. And I still contend, and, you know, I'm, I'm an unreliable narrator because I'm biased as, as crap, but uh, I think it's the best sporting event in the world. And I think the reason it is is because it brings everybody together. You know, the Super Bowl, it might be uh, two – major market teams playing, uh, same with the World Series. But the NCAA tournament, it, it encompasses small-town America. When when Chattanooga got to the Sweet 16 back in the 90s, you know, I live here, and, and the town went bonkers. And I, they beat Georgia and Illinois to get there. They didn't back into it. And, you know, that was appealing. That was 
must see TV. And I, I don't know. I, I just, yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to kill the, here I go with the cliches again. <laughs> There's the goose that lays the golden egg. I got a million of them, dude. <laughs> here I teach my students not to use cliches. Yeah, I'm well, it, it, right happens. <laughs> it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. All right, coming up shortly, Chris is going to have a, a really interesting story involving one of his students and a notable passing of a college basketball legend. So we'll do that coming up shortly. First, our guest is here. He is Ohio State head coach Chris Holtman. Entering his fifth season at OSU, he was the 2018 Big Ten Coach of the Year, spent three years at Butler, three years at Gardner-Webb, won 20 games in eight consecutive seasons, also won Coach of the Year in the Big East and the Big South. He was 21-10 and 10 last season. Ohio State was 12-8 and eight in the Big Ten. They lost in the Big Ten Tournament Final and made it to the championship game, uh, were beaten by Illinois and then upset by uh, number 15 seed Oral Roberts in the NCAA Tournament in overtime, 75-72. Chris Holtman from Ohio State. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well. It's great to be with you guys. Absolutely. Great to have you. Coach, uh, I've been wanting to get you on for a while for, for so many reasons, but uh, I wanted to ask you right off the bat, it's, it's not unheard of that a successful mid-major head coach, you know, leaves for an assistant job. I mean, Chris Beard had two guys do it at Texas this year. Yeah. But – when you left Garner Webb, your peers and those of us basketball nerds who keep up with such things knew that you were a terrific coach. And did did you ever think that when you left to, to be an assistant at Butler that you were taking a chance at all? And gosh, the way it worked, it couldn't have been better. Yeah. Boy, I've, you know, I've obviously thought of that decision a lot, uh, Chris, and, and tried to reflect on, you know, would I do something uh, different? Would I, would I make a different decision? Um, you know, you always, uh, I think that when you reflect back on those decisions, you always think about, okay, the, the people impacted your staff and your players and the AD who hired you. And, um, uh, you know, how it affected those guys. And fortunately I've got great relationships with all of those parties. Um, and there was, there was an understanding, you know, I've, I've told people the story after my first year, I, I was offered uh, the same or a, a very similar position at Butler uh, by Brad after their second uh, uh, tournament run, um, final four run, final game run. And, at that point, I did not feel a, you know, you could say, what's the difference between first year and third year? At that point, I just, did, I felt uh, two things. One, I just didn't feel a release, like I could do it. I, the program was still very much in a complete rebuild, and I just couldn't do that to my AD, who had just, you know, kind of taken a chance on sure. on a, a first-time head coach. And then, and then I, you know, I, didn't love the idea of going to Butler when they were still on the horizon. So it was those two factors. But, you know, two years later, we had finished second in the league and won 20 games for the first time in a, a number of years there and uh, had our best recruiting class and just was in a really healthy place. And, you know, that opportunity to be at Butler was hard to pass on. I actually looked back at the first uh, Blue Ribbon story that you ever did. As a head coach, it was the summer of 2010. We interviewed you, 
And you said the challenge is going to be keeping our guys together and focused on getting better every day. And dang, if that's not exactly what you did, uh, you know, I guess you had a couple of 20 loss teams, but by the time your third season, you were uh, postseason 120. And you haven't won less than 20 cents as a head coach. It's incredible. I wanted to ask, you played for an NAI Hall of Fame coach worked for him. What did you take from his mentorship and, and what other mentors have, have gone into the way you coach today? Well, I, I appreciate the, the question. And um, yeah, we had, we had a couple rough years. It was really interesting. We had, we knew it was, matter of fact, my AD when he hired me at Gardner Webb said, this is in a bad, bad place. Like it's bad. Like don't come in under any other, uh, 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 any better understanding to listen, it's in bad shape and it's going to take time. And, but you're competing every, every game. And I thought we got better as the first year, as the first year went on, we really got better year two. I didn't feel like we got better quite honestly, when I had to reflect back on why uh, that was the case, but we still won one more game than we had in year one, but we were, you're, you're right. Two twenty lost seasons. And then we were going along in the middle of year three, and it was exactly to what to what I had said there, this idea of staying in the moment, um, being process-driven, kind of pounding that stone. You don't ever know when it's going to break. And that we hit a stride in January that none of us on staff saw. We won, I think, 10 out of 11, uh, maybe 11 out of 12. We were rolling. Liberty upset us in the uh, in the uh, conference tournament, but we were as hot as anybody in the league. Ended up, we did go to a postseason for the first time in in, in the history there. Um, uh, so I, it was it was a great lesson for me about you don't know when the breakthrough is going to happen um, when you're doing something and staying in the moment and pushing through. Um, and I learned that from my college coach, Paul Patterson. And the other guys, you know, Brad is a close friend. Uh, Brad Stevens is a close friend. I learned a lot from Big East coaches while being at Butler. Um, you know, just seeing how Jay operates uh, his program night in, night out. Um, I love Ed Cooley and what, what he's been able to do. Um, so you learn a lot from, from guys like that. It's a league of great, great basketball coaches. Uh, but uh, – you know, at the top of the list, Coach Patterson, John Gross, who's a personal friend who's now at Akron, Brad Stevens, uh, Ed Cooley. And then in this league here, you know, Tom Izzo was the first guy to call me after our loss in the NCAA tournament this past year. And um, uh, I'll never forget that. He just was – he's been a really um, – I don't like him when we play him, but <laughs> I like him at the other time. So – but he he sort of been through that first yeah. round roster thing, and yeah. it was the first time for you. So he he sort of commiserated with you then. He did, he did. I think uh, it helped me knowing that you know Coach K and Tom, Jim Beheim, you know some pretty pretty good Hall of Famers that went through some of those some of those things. And you know, as I people know, we had we had a really key injury, but you know. So did Tony Bennett the year they lost. Um, had a really key hit. Hunter, I think, was out there in that game. Yeah, he was. Those are part of the games, and you got to you got to be able to win in spite of them. And we 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 didn't. But yeah, I think it was that. It was just 
you know, guys who've been in it long enough know that if you're if you put yourself in positions long enough to do that, you, you know, you're not exempt. There's very few people. I think Mark Few and Roy, maybe are the only ones that that's not happened, or one of the few that's not happened to. But uh, even Jay went to, you know, in a two fifteen game, had to go to overtime against, um, I forget who it might have been Winthrop, or I forget who it was. Um, it took him a while to get going it uh, did. in the NCAAs. It did. And and I, they, yeah. It did. He had that Final Four run, then he had some rough years. Yep. And then, right, it was – because I remember being in the league and, and uh, with him, and after maybe the, our first year – at Butler, I remember people saying when they lost to NC State, well, when is Jay going to get, you know, to the Sweet 16 again? When's he going to get to yeah. another Final Four? And then, bang, two national championships in three years. Pretty impressive. No doubt. Our guest is Chris Holtman. He is the uh, head coach at Ohio State. I guess you got some positive news this summer with, with EJ Liddell withdrawing from the draft and deciding to come back to school for his junior year. Will he be able to maybe play a little more power forward with with some of the other additions that, that you made this offseason? Yeah, Kevin, that's that's uh, been the plan. He he played that um, almost exclusively his uh, freshman year. Played all kind of four, and then last year he played all of the four offensively. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's how we play. We played a lot with two power forwards. He played the four completely offensively um, last year. He's an inside outside matchup problem. Um, uh, and, um, but who he guards this year will be different. Um, and because we have, we have Zed key and Joey Brunk and Kyle young, who those three guys will kind of man that, quote-unquote, five spot. Like when Kyle and EJ are in there together, Kyle will probably guard guard fives. Just gives EJ, EJ a chance to guard a little bit more out on the floor. But in terms of offensively, you know, his game uh, has always been kind of that of a forward here. Um, but we're excited about Zed growing and Joey growing as players too. Yeah, you, you talk about additions to the team, and you know the, it's been the craziest year ever with the transfer portal and all those things. But do you, do you feel good about some of the additions that that you were able to grab, including uh, the Penn State transfer Jamari Wheeler? I, I I do. I feel I'm excited about him. Jamari brings an everyday approach and a competitiveness that we felt like our group needed, and we lost our backcourt when Dwayne decided to stay in the NBA uh, draft process, and which I understand and supported. Um, but you don't see that, you know, when you recruit a guy that is a three-star that's, you know, 160th in the player, 160th ranked, whatever he was in, in the country, you don't anticipate that he could leave after three years. And and I think he's going to be – I'm really excited about it. I think he's going to be a good pro. Um, but – so we had to add some older guys in the backcourt, and we've done that. Um, but I'm also excited about our young guys uh, that we've recruited um, that have been here and that are growing into new roles. And then obviously, you know, we've got a, a talented freshman in Malachi Branham who's, who's really going to help us. Coach, we talked before the show about, about where I live, obviously the South. Kevin's from the South. Now that you're and, and have been in Big Ten country, I never had the pleasure of being able to cover a Big Ten beat and, like some of my friends in the business have. What is it like night after night competing 
you know, having to work to keep from getting your brains kicked in. The, the, the fans are crazy everywhere you go. Can you talk about that environment? And, and you, you, you know, you seamlessly jumped into it from Butler uh, and, and have not had a, other than that little hiccup in the NCAA tournament, which, as we said, happens to everybody. Uh, can you talk about just the craziness of it all? I, it's, it's the best league I've ever been a part of because of its depth. I get the fact that we haven't won a national championship. I think that's coming. We haven't recently, that is. I think that's coming. But we've also had I – mean, Michigan's been in two title games in the last, I think, eight years. So has Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin's been in one. Um, I mean, Michigan State's been in multiple Final Fours. So it's not like we've not knocked on the door. What makes our league, in my opinion, the best is the depth. People say, well, the Big Ten was overrated. Uh, you could argue that those of us, ourselves, you know, Purdue that struggled uh, in the tournament, Illinois last year, um, you could argue maybe we shouldn't have been seeded, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever that, that argument would be. The reality is, is I think Maryland, Rutgers, their performances, uh, uh, they were at the middle to the back half of our league. And they beat some really good teams. Maryland beats a good UConn team soundly. Um, uh, Rutgers plays well in the tournament, takes Houston all the way, had a real chance to beat them. Like this is this is a really good deep league, the best I've been ever but a part of because of the depth. Um, and then I think uh, the way it's recruiting right now, we're recruiting right now as a league, like I think Indiana's a team in our league right now that could make a serious NCAA tournament run. Um, I think that roster is outstanding. Um, so you got, you know, I, it's it's just an incredibly deep league. You're from Kentucky, so all basketball all the time is not a, a new thing to you in terms of fan interest. Obviously, your university uh, got a pretty good football team. Uh, but yet it's still – so basketball centric, uh, whereas some of, some of the schools we cover, basketball is a diversion uh, yeah. before spring football practice gets here. That, that must be cool to just be able to, to work in that sort of environment and compete in that environment. I've appreciated that point. You know, when I was at Gardner Webb, I had a chance to we had a chance to play some teams in the southeast. Great programs, great teams, but it is. Um, uh, while this is very much a football school, and I don't shy away from that or try to argue that you know we're not that, right? Because I'd be arguing against what a hundred years or or there, <laughs> you know. Um, it just is an argument that wouldn't stand. But we have a nineteen thousand seat arena, and last time we were able to have fans uh, in February and March, we had I think four out of our last five were sellouts. Um, there is a bit of a divided attention from our great fans until football ends uh, to be uh, understandable. And, but we also, you know, early in the year, we played Villanova and Cincinnati with great crowds. Um, so I think there is, a, there is a real appetite here uh, for quality basketball. Um, Thad did it as, I think the best that it's ever been done here outside of winning a national championship. And there were some phenomenal crowds. Uh, they do, you know, 
their interest really does pick up once football gets over with. But uh, there's a great appreciation for quality basketball from from our fans in this state. Chris, one more for me uh, before we let you go. Uh, thoughts on the new alliance with the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. And do you feel like it could have a positive impact on basketball with some of the scheduling possibilities there? Well, they're great conferences to be aligned with, for one. Uh, similar institutions, institutions that I think have a, have a mission uh, that's similar to ours, and not to say that other leagues don't, but I, I just think it matched up and lined up. I think you guys probably know better than me. This seems to be a fluid situation. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> college athletics in general. So who knows what could happen moving forward. I like the idea. You know, we played UCLA uh, since I've been here. We always are in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We have Duke coming to town here. I love the idea of those scheduling alliances because uh, you have some great programs that you can you can uh, uh, schedule in non-conference matchups. So uh, I have talked to Gene Smith about it, but uh, I also understand that um, if we're all being real here, we know that most of those decisions are driven heavily by football. Um, so while basketball is certainly considered, um, you know, uh, on this campus, I'm not going to get the first say, nor would I want the first say um, uh, on those kind of decisions, but I'll throw in my opinion if I'm asked. Chris, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it, and all the best to you and your program going forward. Yeah, my pleasure. Great being with you, Kevin and Chris. I appreciate it, and thanks for all the work you do for, for college basketball. We appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. Your thing. What a great person. He's the same guy that he was when he yep. was – uh, the head coach at Gardner-Webb that he is at the head coach at Ohio State. That's what I like about him. You know, it's funny. I was thinking I've been all three of the places that he has coached uh, over my years with Belmont. We used to play at Gardner-Webb because they were in the old Atlantic Sun Conference, so we went to Boiling Springs a few times. Uh, we played at Butler one year at, at Hankel Fieldhouse, actually when uh, Chris was the head coach there. And then uh, we also played at Ohio State one year, and that was when Thad Mata was coached. That was back in about uh, 05 or 06, and that was a cool experience too. So all great places. He's had a terrific career and uh, really appreciate him. Really nice guy and enjoy the time with uh, Coach Holtman here on our show. All right, Chris, uh, we, we have some notable passings to get to. Uh, first, Jerry Harkness, uh, and he died at age 81 back on Tuesday. He was a two-time All-American back in the 60s. He led Loyola Chicago to the NCAA championship back in 1963 with four black starters on that team. And an interesting connection with one of your students in what's known as the Game of Change that that program played against Mississippi State. Explain that connection. It's it's unbelievable coincidence, Kevin. Um, I always ask my students every year to write a, a personal biography so I can get to know them better. And my theory is is that the better I know them, the better I can teach them. And Every year, without fail, uh, they knock my socks off with their candor and some of the stuff that has happened in their lives. One of my students, he he was a baller uh, in, in his high school days, and he just had luck with knee injuries, or he might might be playing today. But it runs in his family. His grandfather played with Popeye Jones at Murray State, and his grandfather was Joe Dan Gold, who played at Mississippi from 1960 to 1963. And if you're not familiar with uh, the times uh, of of that era, Mississippi State was really good 
better even than Kentucky, yet because they didn't want to play integrated teams, they turned down a couple of invitations to the NCAA tournament. So they made the tournament in 63 and were deciding whether to go. And the university president just said, we're going. And then the board of trustees had a meeting and it was eight to three in favor. The players wanted to, but it was this public outcry statewide. But I did a little research. Uh, the, the Mississippi State Archives has 389 letters from people across the state that wrote about it. 333 of them were in favor of going. So they go and it, their, their opponent, all of Chicago, integrated uh, and they just had to literally sneak out of the state because the politicos and the long arm of the law uh, wanted to try to have an injunction to keep them there. They snuck out of the state. I, if I'm not mistaken, they, they met in your town, Nashville, and they went up, and this is cool, they played it in Jenison Fieldhouse at Michigan State yeah. where Magic Johnson later played. Uh, they didn't get into the Breslin Center until 89. And so they play this game, and my student, uh, his name is Gold. Uh, his grandfather was uh, photographed shaking hands uh, with Jerry Harkless. And that, that photograph went all over the world, and it was famous. And famous. But uh, Joe Dan Gold and, and Jerry Harkless became lifelong friends. And you know what's so weird? My student was telling me that yesterday afternoon, and literally, it must have been right about the same time Jerry Hartless passed. Huh. And I got back to my uh, office after class, and Jack, my student, had written me. Uh, he said, I thought you'd want to see this. Mr. Hartless has just passed. And I thought, wow, that that is an eerie coincidence. But he, my student told me that grandfather and Harkless kept in touch uh, all throughout the years and they called it the game of change and it really led to the game of basketball that we see now an integrated game a popular game and uh, like I said man you just never know when you ask your kid or your, your student like bios what you're going to get back. I, I got some great ones this year. I, I had another kid that played junior college ball and he didn't get recruited. But uh, so he went to UTP and at the end of the fall semester, he gets recruited by this D2 school in Colorado. So he goes and, you know, he's way behind the altitude up there, kills him. He throws up the first like three times in the first practice and, he flailed away for the spring semester. <laughs> and at the end of it, the coach calls him in. And even, even though they put him on scholarship, I think it would be best if we parted ways. So now the kid's back at UT Chattanooga. And uh, he finally realizes, you know, he's six foot. He's a great three-point shooter. He's the all-time uh, leading three-point shooter at his high school. And he shot 41% in junior college from wow. three. But he's only six feet. And I'm going to suggest uh, the title for his midterm, Oh, Where Would I Be 
if I were only 6'3". <laughs> I've said that lots of times, uh, checking in at right around six feet tall. <laughs> That's awesome. No, 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 if I'm six <laughs> I didn't get anywhere because I, I couldn't guard, uh, as Sonny Smith used to say, I couldn't guard your house with a Tommy gun. <laughs> <laughs> Defense wasn't my attitude, but no. I was a bucket man. Hey Chris, uh, we, we we like to talk music from time to time on here. I know we're we're both huge fans. A couple notable passings in the world of music as well. Don Everly, uh, half of the famous Everly Brothers, with with his brother Phil, uh, died a few days ago. Uh, he's from Muhlenberg County, Kentucky. I, I didn't know. I, I learned some things about uh, their family that I didn't necessarily know that they moved around some. I think it was Iowa and Knoxville, and they ended up. Uh, his family lived in in Madison, I believe, uh, here in the Nashville area. And uh, he and his brother got their music career started. And uh, also the uh, the passing of uh, Rolling Stones drummer Charlie Watts, who is an absolute legend uh, with maybe the most, one of anyway, the most legendary rock bands ever. They're called the, the, the world's greatest rock and roll band. And if you see them live, uh, I, I, I would agree with that assessment. They're, they're fantastic. I'm glad I got to see them play with Charlie Watts a few years ago. That's a band I'd always wanted to see and never had the opportunity until 2015. And, Chris, we were going to go last se- last year. Uh, we had tickets to see him at Nissan Stadium, but the uh, the tour got postponed until this year. But uh, a couple notable passings in music, and uh, I, I, I distinctly remember the first time I saw Charlie Watts go all the way back, and I was probably 9 or 10 years old, uh, maybe a little more than that, but when uh, the album Tattoo You came out in, uh, I think it was 81, I believe this is the 40th anniversary of that album, uh, they did the song Start Me Up, and they had a video for Start Me Up uh, on MTV. And I remember seeing those dudes for the first time, and uh, I, I was I was a fan from there on. Uh, that 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 song got me hooked, and I have all my uncle's old rock albums and things, and I have a lot of those old Rolling Stones albums, Sticky Fingers, and and, and all of it. It's very cool. But uh, two very notable passings: Charlie Watson and Don Everly, uh, both uh, passing away in recent days. I think Charlie was right at eighty, and, and Everly was in his early eighties. Yeah, I I hated to see them both. Um, if you've ever heard the expression "blood harmony," it means uh, the natural blending of voices from siblings or family. And uh, Bill and Don were were the epitome of blood harmony. I could listen to them; they were just like angels from the uh, sky. A couple of good old Kentucky boys. They kind of lost their way for a while and and were yeah. feuding, and they had a legendary. A, a concert in, in London where they reunited, and uh, that was pretty cool. But huge Everly Brothers fan. And then, of course, Rolling Stones. Like you said, uh, we had tickets. And when it got postponed, I, I called you and I said, dude, we just lost our chance to see the, you know, the founding three. Because uh, Charlie had battled uh, cancer, and he was in ill health. And that was going to be his last tour. Uh, and I'll tell you what, he served well. Uh, he was a consummate professional. He kept the, the stones were uh, notably ramshackle in their approach, uh, except for Charlie, uh, who was a, a noted jazz head. He did his best rascals on and on time. And he did it as well as anybody. And I'm a huge stones fans too. I'm a little bit older than you and, remember some albums that go a little farther back. Right. Uh, they, they had a group of, I think for some people include that soup, but 
I think from Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, and Exile on Main Street, that's about as good an output as a rock and roll band has ever done, Beatles included. Uh, and you know how I love them. Uh, but yeah, I, Charlie will be missed. In doing some research, I come to find out that uh, some of my favorite songs, Charlie didn't play the drums on. <laughs> and it turns out that this is a cool story if I've got time. Sure. Uh, my, my favorite, uh, my favorite Stone song of all time, and I'd be curious to hear yours, by the way. I know this is a basketball uh, podcast. I think our readers will forgive because I'll bet you that most love the Stones. Yeah. Before I get into this story, what is your favorite Stone song? You know, I was just thinking about that uh, here in the last you know few days since I heard the news that, that Charlie Watts had passed away, and uh, I always try to like think of what my five favorite songs are for for different bands and. For the Rolling Stones, I was thinking about the the songs that were really cool to see them play live. To me, Gimme Shelter was the best song they played live. You know, it's not necessarily like the biggest rocker or anything, you know, especially for a, a big stadium show. But there's something about that song that to to watch those guys play it and, and the, the background vocals and things that went with it, I thought that was fantastic. Gosh, there there are just so many to choose from. I mean, you know, some bands have say twenty twenty five songs they could choose from to play a show. Those guys had dozens of great songs. Uh, they could put a set list together. It was ridiculous. Their output. I actually, for the purpose of this show, because you had tipped me off and wanted to talk about the Stones, my favorite Stones song and, and Stones album is Let It Bleed. And that had Gimme Shelter on it. Uh, and my second favorite song is Tumbling Dice. And I've even got a couple of deep cuts for you. Um, off Beggar's Banquet, uh, a, a great, great album. Uh, no expectations, jigsaw puzzle, street fighting man. Uh, there's a song on Let It Bleed called Midnight Rambler that, it, oh, that yeah. is eerily haunting. Um, so this, those are deep cuts. But the story I had about Charlie Watts, this is pretty cool. I used to think that Tumbling Dice, everybody knows that song. Mm-hmm. There's a coda at the end where the roll drums just goes off. I can listen to that. I shouldn't, but uh, I listen to that max volume because uh, it just kind of gets me fired up. And come to find out that Charlie Watts did not play that. And the reason why, uh, the Rolling Stones started out with, with a producer named Andy Lou Goldham. And they, they realized that he wasn't the best producer in the world. They cut him loose and they tried to produce an album on their own called their satanic majesty. It was kind of a bomb. So they hired this guy named Jimmy Miller who had worked with traffic and a couple of English bands. He was from the States and under Jimmy Miller, they, they put out Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, Exile on Main Street, and Goat's Head Soup. I mean, unbelievable. And Jimmy had them experiment with, with odd instrumentation, uh, cowbell and, and, <laughs> and uh, symphony and all this stuff. And the coda of Tumbling Diet, you know, put it on after you hear the podcast. Charlie could not deal, could not play there. So 
you know, and, and they rumored, and it's not because of Charlie's fault, Humbling Dice was a tough song to, to get down on, on, on tape. They did as many as 150 takes. Oh, wow. So it goes. And finally, they, I think it was Mick that just said, Jimmy, get behind the drum kit. And man, that coda, that's him pounding it out. And that is one of the most, to me, iconic drum parts in, in rock and roll. I hate that it wasn't Charlie, uh, but boy, he gave us so much more. Yeah. Uh, you know, RIP to him and Don Everly. Uh, you'll be missed. But as I say about recording artists, you're never really gone because I got your record sitting right over there. That's right. That that's a very cool story. I, I'm glad you shared that, and uh, really need to to remember the the work of those two guys, uh, Chris. As they say in, in tumbling dice, you can be my partner in crime uh, anytime, and uh, we'll do it again next time on the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast.